Everybody's good? Well, take out your Bibles, and uh, we're going to turn to Mark chapter 8 and also John chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, uh, raise your hand up nice and high. Our ushers would love to help you with that, and we'll loan you a Bible for this service, and you can leave it on the chair when you're done. Just keep your hand up there until our ushers come and serve you, and thank you, ushers, for doing that for us this morning. We're in our series entitled Paradox, Finding the Truth in Contradictions. Finding the Truth in Contradictions, and we've been looking at these texts from the Bible that don't seem to make sense. They are uh, things that are, that are stated that seem to be paradoxes or concepts that contradict themselves and even sometimes contradict logic and, and what's real. Uh, but they're actually true. And so we looked together at uh, the first couple were, uh, let me think if I can remember without looking at my notes. The first couple were this, uh, that we have to be, that the first will be last and that we live, uh, you know, uh, in the world, but not of the world. We have to be distinct as we uh, follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then last week, I remember that one easy because uh, that was me, uh, humility through honor. We talked about the fact that, that, we, that we achieve honor, sorry, by, by being humble, uh, and that there's that sort of paradoxical thought as well. Well, today we're looking at another one. And uh, if you missed those messages, I want to encourage you to go back to, our, uh, to the Portico app or to our website, and you can find them there, and we encourage you to just get caught up. The one we're looking at today is one that we find, again, all through Scripture in many places, but we're going to look at these two specific texts to kind of get us started. But I just want to warn you, there's a lot of Scripture we're going to look at today, and this is going to seem uh, somewhat like teaching mode at some times, but uh, we want to understand what this paradox is really all about. And let me introduce you to it today. It's in Mark chapter 8 and verse 35. And for now, I just want to read, read one verse there, and here's what it says. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And so what's the paradox? The paradox is that we have to die in order to live. And I don't think I need to explain to you why that's a paradox. Those things are polar opposites, aren't they? I mean, they are polar opposites, living and dying. One makes the other impossible. And so what is it that Jesus is getting at here in this text, and, and there is a lot that he's getting at here in this text, and I, I don't have time this morning to go into all of it, you know, giving up your life for the sake of the gospel, self-sacrifice, and, and all of that stuff, but we want to look at a little bit of what it means to die so that we can live. And I think, first of all, we have to wrestle with this question. What is, what is really living? What is really living? You know how in certain serene and perfect situations, wherever, wherever you go that is sort of your happy place or whatever you do that sort of sets your heart at ease and, and gives you, you know, peace of mind or the, or the thrill of adventure? And we, we use phrases sometimes, don't we? we uh, if you're there, say, at, for us, the happy place is the cottage. And so, you know, sitting there in the sunshine, listening to the water lap against the shore, watching the boats go by, we say, we say in our minds, or sometimes even out loud, we say, man, this is really living, right? This is really living. Man, this is, this is the life. Don't we say stuff like that? I don't know what it, what it is for you. Maybe, you know, you're one of those people that uh, the thrill of the, the big business deal is what gets you going. And when you close that big piece of business and uh, you understand that it's sort of all coming together in that moment of euphoria, you think to yourself, man, this, this is really living. Or perhaps you're one of those thrill seekers, you know, who likes hurtling down the side of a mountain on two skinny pieces of fiberglass at high, high speeds, right? 
or, or hanging off the face of a cliff, uh, rock climbing, and you think to yourself, man, this is really living. Sometimes uh, that can end abruptly if you're not careful. But anyway, um, you know, this is what we think about. We think about, we think about all of these kinds of things that people would consider really living today. Fun, success, pleasure, thrills, relationships, family, all of that stuff. And there's a picture we'll put on the screen just to kind of illustrate maybe four of those big, big thoughts, you know, the corner office with a view, really finally kind of making it, you know, achieving success, or the, the party lifestyle, pleasure, and all of the things that come along with that, the paradise island, or, you know, family all around you, building a big family and getting together lots and all that stuff. Is any of that bad in and of itself? Of course not. But it's not really what really living is all about. And that's what we want to look at for a moment today. Because the world's definition of really living is very temporary. It's set in the now. And while there might be some thought, perhaps, of the future, you know, we think about putting away some money for retirement and all that stuff, most would give little or no thought to what comes after that, to the eternal What happens after we die? And yet people struggle and they strive to have that kind of life that they think they would define as really living or the good life without any thought of eternity. In the 90s, uh, there was a a popular rapper who, you know, I can remember. I didn't follow rap at the time, but his name was Tupac. And he wrote these words that communicate what many people might be thinking about when they think about this concept. He said, why am I fighting to live if I'm just living to fight? And, and why am I, what am I trying to see? Why am I trying to see when there's nothing there in sight? What am I trying to give when no one gives me a try? And why am I dying to live if I'm just living to die? Well, that's a great question. Why am I dying to live if I am just living to die? The irony of that is that Tupac was actually gunned down and killed in a drive-by shooting in 1996. But his words echoed the frustration of a society that was working hard and running the rat race, knowing that one day it would all be over and for what? And his words also ended up being very prophetic for him as well. I love this this, uh, response. There was a famous leader in Eastern religion that was asked, what is it that surprises you most about humanity? Here's what he said. He said, man, because he sacrifices his health in order to make money, and then he sacrifices money to recuperate his health. And then he is so anxious about the future that he does not enjoy the present, the result being that he does not live in the present or the future. He lives as if he were never going to die, and then dies having never really lived. Well, what a sad, sad commentary on on life. There's got to be more to life than just getting a great job and partying and living a life of luxury and enjoying it all with the people you love. I know that all sounds pretty good, but remember, that's only the upside. Behind all of that good stuff is the striving and the struggle and all the brokenness that occurs trying to achieve all of that. And of course, the glaring truth that none of us can ever get away from is that at the end of it, no matter how good life is for all of us, we all die in the end. What a bummer, eh? I know you're all sitting there thinking, man, this is going to be a real upper kind of message. I'm a little depressed right now. But that brings us back to the paradox. Jesus said in order to live, we have to die. 
Seems extreme, and yet it's what Jesus said. He said, whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. In John 12, there's a parallel passage uh, that that, uh, we're looking at today. John 12, beginning at verse 24, and Jesus expands a little more on the concept here. He says, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, and anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, Jesus said. And where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. You see, in God's economy, the concepts of life and death are kind of intertwined. Uh, We see it in the Old Testament. The theme of sacrifice was very prevalent and normal. It was understood that, that through the death of those animals being sacrificed, that punishment for sins was, was averted. It was avoided. And the life of the people was protected. And then with the coming of Jesus, those sacrifices would no longer be necessary. Not because, you know, sacrifice was no longer required. There still had to be some sort of price for sin but because Jesus would make the ultimate sacrifice, the once and for all sacrifice. And this is what he was trying to explain to his disciples in John chapter 12. He said, I have to die so that life can be protected. My my body has to go into the ground and I need to to rise again so that that, many seeds can can come forth. His words there are a little cryptic perhaps, but, but in Mark 8 that we read together, Jesus comes right out and he says it. He says, I'm gonna die. I'm going to be killed, and then in three days I'll rise again. And then he uses those similar words where he says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the good news will save it. What good is it, he goes on, if, if someone gains the whole world, right? If they live that life of luxury, what good is it if they gain all of that, but they lose their soul? Or what can anyone trade for their soul? And so these words of Jesus are actually filled with all kinds of meaning. He's using his own imminent death as an illustration of what he is trying to get across to disciples. But for us today, dying to live is about a couple of things that we want to just cover. And and that is, first, we, we die to an old life in order to really live fully in this life with life in Jesus Christ. But also there's the concept, of course, of eternal life, of living forever that is evident here in Jesus' words. The paradox is that we we must die in order to live. And you can extrapolate that all the way out to, to the eternal concept, and that is none of us experiences eternity with Christ until we die here, we die to this life. So what does this all mean? How does this work? Is Jesus suggesting that we literally need to die right now like he was going to do? No, that's not what he was saying. Dying to live for us means something else. Jesus would do the literal dying so that the once and for all sacrifice of sin would be completed and he would do the literal rising again so that death would be defeated and we could all enjoy new life together. And all of this was necessary because of one thing, because of sin, because of the problem that we have in our society that goes all the way back to the days of Adam where, where Adam and Eve, you know, they, they messed up, they sinned. And because of that, every single one of us is infected with this. We are born in sin because of the, the, the heritage passed on through humanity. There's no good in us, and sin has a far-reaching effect. Sin sucks the life out of us right now, 
And, and, you know, that's because of all of its pitfalls and the consequences and the brokenness of what happens when we sin, but it also moves us toward eternal punishment in the future. The soul that sins, it will die. So in order to live, Jesus says, we have to die. We have to die to our sin. And I want to look at that from a couple different perspectives. First of all, we die to sinful attitudes. We die to sinful attitudes. One of the ones I think of right away is the one we talked about last week, and that's the attitude of, of pride. The attitude of pride. Paul talks in Philippians 3, and uh, he has just finished talking about how great he was. Uh, and then he says this, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul goes on in that text and he he says, you know, I want this all because I want to identify with Jesus in his death. And there's that theme of dying to live, of, of putting all those old things behind him and considering them like garbage because of the new life that is before him through faith in Jesus Christ. So he addresses these things from his past that would have given him status or importance, whatever were gains to me, he says. And, and like I said, he's just listed them all in the previous verses. Circumcised on the eighth day, part of the, tribe of, uh, part of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a true Hebrew. I was a Pharisee, he said. Uh, I was fully committed, and I kept the law perfectly. How many could say that? And yet Paul said that's what, that's what he was. And he goes on to say that none of this matters to him anymore. He considers them loss so that he might know Christ. Now to the casual observer, to the person sort of looking in from the outside, Paul was a pretty decent guy. He would have seemed to have had it all. He, had, he was really living, you know, status, education, a great track record and pedigree. But, but now he says none of that matters compared to knowing Jesus. Paul came to the realization that he needed God. And he came to that realization in a very personal encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road. You see, before that, he had it all figured out. He had it all figured out. Paul thought, these new Christians, they are trouble. And I, he was on a mission for God and country to exterminate them from the face of the earth. I don't actually think he had checked with God about that. But anyway, that's what he was doing. But it took getting knocked off his donkey for Saul to recognize that he didn't have all the answers. He wasn't as strong and powerful as he thought. And he needed Jesus. He needed Jesus. And since then, Paul's pride has been directed in a new and a different direction. We skip over to Galatians chapter 6. And um, this one's in your notes. He says, may I never boast... May I never have pride except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me. He has, he has died to the things of the world and, and I to the world, he says. We, 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 don't, we, we don't connect anymore. So there's this pride of, this, this attitude of pride. And with that comes, comes a sense of independence, doesn't it? Uh, you know, we, we fight this. I don't need God. I am the master of my own destiny. I can decide what to do. I can decide who I want to be. And I don't need God to tell me. 
Some people, even after they set pride and personal priorities aside and begin to follow Jesus, they struggle with this attitude of independence and wanting to control everything. In Mark 8 that we read together, when when Jesus is explaining to the disciples that he's going to die, Peter actually takes Jesus aside, if you can believe this, and he starts to scold him. And we don't hear the words, we don't get the words in the text that Peter said, but we imagine it went something like this. Jesus, what are you talking about? You can't die right now. There's too much, there's too much at stake. We're just starting to make some headway. This kingdom of God thing is, it's moving ahead and you're healing people and people are following. If you die, this is going to be bad news. And what did Jesus say to Peter? He said, he said, Peter, get behind me. He called him Satan, actually. Because Peter was trying to move, you know, Jesus from, from the Father's agenda to Peter's own agenda. How often do we like to tell God, you know, what the best plan for our lives should be, right? We try and, we try and do that because of this spirit of independence that's in us. And yet, we need to die to that sinful attitude. It's easy for many of us very often to think that we've got a better idea about how things should be done or, or the way we should live or the paths we should take. We want to be in control. But what God wants is for us to die so that he can have control, so that his Holy Spirit can begin to lead us and begin to work in our hearts. That way, all that God has for us, all of the visions that he has for your life, all of the amazing plans that he has for your life, all of the the blessing that he wants to pour into your life, if we can just release control to him, die to that sinful attitude of independence, then the Holy Spirit will come and begin to control our lives. Not Not because he wants to sort of keep us under his thumb, but because he has so much for us that we just can't imagine. Right? It says in Romans chapter 8, four and five, that Jesus does for us everything the holy law requires. So the power of sin should no longer control the way we live. The Holy Spirit should control the way we live. And, and then it goes on. Don't live under the control of sin. If you do, you will think about what sin wants. Live under the control of the Holy Spirit. And if you do that, then you'll think about what the Spirit wants. You see, Jesus he hints in the text in John chapter 12 that we read together that, that if we can learn to die to these things, to these sinful attitudes, then the impact of our lives is going to increase exponentially. He talks about the seed. Remember the kernel of wheat? He says, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, John 12 and 24, that it remains a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds produces many seeds. When we die to pride and independence and we give the Holy Spirit control of our lives, folks, the possibilities are endless. The possibilities are endless. Paul wrote and said that, you know, God wants, he wants to do in our lives exceeding and abundantly above all that we can ask or even imagine. I'm signing up for that one. We need to die for sinful attitudes, but we also need to die to our sinful actions as well. In John 12 and 25, he says, Jesus says, anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And in our society today, we place this high, high value on things that are, that are temporary, that have no eternal value today. We love life. We love luxury, money, activities, sex, fame, selfish pleasures, all of those things that we consider are really living And Jesus says, 
wait a minute, you need to think about keeping your life for, for eternity, not just for now. And so I observe that there are way too many people in our, our world today who are loving life, you know, with, with no real thought or consequence of eternity. You know that little McDonald's phrase, I'm loving it, I'm loving it. You can probably sing the jingle if you think about it long enough. It's a catchy slogan. It really taps, it really talk, you know, it's talking about fast food, but, but it taps into everyone's desire for those feel-good kind of experiences. We want to just do what we love. We're loving it. And so it's easy to see how that sinful attitudes can become sinful actions, right? Independence, I'm in charge, so I'll do what I want. Nobody can tell me what to do. Nobody can tell me how to do it. It's my life. How many times have you heard this in the news and on Facebook and everywhere else? It's my body. It's my choice. It's all about me. It's all about self. And yet Jesus says that if we want to follow him, we have to die to these sinful actions as well. And most people right away say, well, what actions? Give me a list. Give me a list. And there's a list. We can give you one. It's the Ten Commandments if you want to start there. And, and they're all encompassing. And people, you know, anybody that's outside of faith goes, I don't want to be involved in that Christian stuff. It's just a whole list. It's a list of do's and don'ts. Well, they're really, they're really healthy parameters. They're, they're good boundaries that allow us to live life fully if we, if we keep them. And they keep us in healthy community. They keep us safe. They're the things that we should do and not do. There's more specific lists. You can find them in the, in the New Testament, and we'll probably look at one in just a minute. But there's this, there's this catch-22 that we find ourselves in here. You see, if, if all it is is about a list, well then, if we simply don't do a bunch of stuff on a list, but at the same time we don't change our sinful attitudes, well then there's no change in our heart and we're still not dying to sin. But if we change our attitude and we keep on doing the sinful things, there too we're still not dying to sin. And there's this, there's this, this tension always that's happening. Now, I, I want you to know I'm the first to admit this is a struggle. It's not easy. Sometimes even if our attitudes are right, it's, st- it's hard to s- stop acting the way we used to act or, th- or the way that our sinful nature wants us to act. And we, we fight with this. We may have the right attitude but still struggle to stop doing wrong things or, or vice versa. You know, we, we, have, we have the list all taken care of, but our attitudes suck, right? And so we, un- we need to be careful. Paul talks about this in Romans 7, 18 and 19. And he says this, he says, I know the good, I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good. I want to do the right things, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Can anybody relate? Don't raise your hand, it's okay. It's a struggle, isn't it? But here's the thing. Some people read that and they breathe this big sigh of relief and they go, oh, wow, that's great. Paul gets me. Paul gets me. It's okay that, that, that I am the way that, that I am and I can just keep doing what I'm doing. It's okay that I keep messing up. But you know what? Earlier in the same chapter, Paul, he talks about the struggle and he talks about the fact that really we need to, to die to those things that once bound us 
and that we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, he says in Romans chapter 7 and verse 6, and not in the old way of the written code. And So Paul admits it's not just about the list, but it is about dying to that old way. It's about dying to the old life. And so we really do have to put all those desires to death. We know that Christ died so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be rid of those things and have victory over them. And even though Paul talks about struggling, he also ends chapter 7 by saying that in this back and forth battle between wanting to do good and between sin being right there with him, he said, it's God who is the one who rescues me and who delivers me through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. So we don't just give up. We don't just say, uh, you know, I'm, this is the way I am, and I'm, so I'm just going to be this way. God will forgive me. It's, it's all good. And there's this fine line here, folks, between living in condemnation when you do mess up, because we all fail. So I don't want you there. I don't want you living in condemnation. But I also don't want you living in so much liberty that, that you feel free to sin whenever you want. You know, Paul talks about grace, and he says, he says, that's not what grace is about. We don't just keep on sinning so that we can experience grace more. That's, that's missing the point. It's missing the point. So it's important to remember this. And remember that temptation is not wrong. It's not wrong to be tempted. It's only wrong, it's only sin when we actually give in to that. Jesus himself was tempted and subject to those things. But we do need to die to our sinful actions. Paul says in Colossians 3, 5 to 10, it's on the screen for you. Just a little sound bite. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And I can just stop right there, and you can start, you can start to make your own list. Because we know. We know what our baser desires are. We know what, what that sinful nature is about. You don't have to think too hard about that. But Paul gives you a list just in case you need to know. He says, he says these are the things. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, he says, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. He says, don't lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. You see, all of this, all of this takes faith in God. We don't do this on our own. Although all through Paul's writing, this theme is evident. Here in Colossians, he talks about the old and new self. Talks about putting off the old, putting on the new. And so uh, we, we go through that list. But really what it's about is saying no to the old ways and understanding that we have new life in Jesus Christ. And, and he talks about that in 2 Corinthians 5.17, the transformation that happens when we meet Jesus, that if we're in Christ, we are new creations. The old is gone, he says, and the new has come. In Galatians 2 and 20, this one's uh, in your notes, I think, as well. Paul writes, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Now, had Paul actually been crucified? No. At this point, he was still very much alive. He says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. He was talking about the old ways. He was talking about that old sinful nature, those sinful attitudes and actions that, that have been put to death in his life. And he said, I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. 
And the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our faith in Jesus, our faith in what he's done for us, what he's accomplished for us is what helps us to overcome, what helps us to die to those things that we need to die to. And remember, we die for a reason. So, you know, before, again, you get way too depressed about all of this, there's good news. The reason we die is so that we can live again. So that we, like Jesus, can, can be resurrected to new life in Christ. We lose our life for the sake of Jesus and the gospel so that we can really live and understand what really living is all about. We get, to, we get to give up these things. See, we can't think about this as about losing something. We can't think about this as, oh, we don't, we're not allowed to do this now. No, we get to give up this stuff. We get to die to these things for the privilege of receiving God's amazing grace and receiving new life in Jesus Christ. Romans 8 and 13 says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you can put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. You will live. So what does that look like? What does really living actually look like? And and that's the last thing I want to just leave you with today. And and it's this, live abundantly. Don't just die to sinful attitudes and actions. You got to replace that with something. Live the abundant life that Jesus calls us to live. When we die to sinful attitudes and actions, there's a vacuum unless we tap into what really living is all about. It's not enough just to die to these things. We need the life and the power of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives so that that space, the vacuum, can be filled up with the goodness of God. We've got to make a decision to live for him and to be his followers, to serve him as Lord and leader of our lives, to stop doing the things he doesn't want us to do, and to start doing the things he wants us to do. It said in verse 26 of our text in John 12, it said, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. And that's the great news about this paradox. It's about living. It's about really living. In John chapter 12, Jesus was talking about his own death and what had to happen. He said, unless that kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, then it just remains a single seed. You can have a bag of seeds sitting in your granary for years. And guess what? All they do is sit there. Nothing happens. But when you put them in the ground, a miracle takes place. And a a plant begins to grow up, and you don't then just get something that gives you one seed. You get something that gives you all kinds of seeds. And so he takes this agricultural illustration and he talks about his death. So first of all, his own death. He says, he says, I need to die so that when I'm raised again, then I can save many, many, many lives. It's a once and for all sacrifice for everyone so that, so that we no longer would have to experience that. But he also hints that there's a truth here for us as well. He says, if anyone who loves their life will lose it and anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And so he was referring to his own death and and eternal life in that way, but he was also drawing a parallel to our lives because he went on and he said, anyone who loves their life is going to lose it, but anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life so that when you and I die to those things in our old life, Jesus promises new life for us now 
and eternal life for us forever. New life now and eternal life forever. And so this logic follows about the seed that if we give up from our old life those things and they die and, and we sort of plant that old nature, it will produce many seeds. How do I see that happening? Well, here's how. God's plan for your life, his blessing for your life, his provision for your life is released when you die to the things of the old life. And when we plant that old nature and it dies, it, it then becomes exponentially greater as God pours into our life all that he has for us, all that he has done for us, all the amazing things as his children that can be released into our lives. We die so that we will live. And to live, we will live in God's blessing exponentially. And so the focus shouldn't be that we have to give stuff up. Too many people look at Christianity that way. I gotta give up all this stuff. No, no, we get to. We get to give it up and we get the privilege of trading that old life for this new, amazing, abundant life in Jesus Christ. John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus said, I didn't come so that you'd be condemned. I came that you would have life, that you would have it more abundantly. I came so that you would have life to the fullest. And so too often, we only think about eternal life. You know, lots of people, lots of Christians even, that's, that's their thing. I said yes to Jesus. I said the prayer. I'm in the heaven. It's all good. Now, life that goes on forever in the presence of God, that's awesome. No issue there. But, but don't lose the fact that God is also calling us to abundant life right now. There's more. Jesus said we would have life in him now, that we would have it to the full, that, we, that life in him would be that abundant life. It would be what really living is all about. You see, when we die to live, it's the difference, obviously, between death and life. It's the difference between temporary and eternal. It's the difference between bondage and freedom. It's the difference between guilt and innocence, between you know, existence and abundant life. It's the difference between hate and love, between greed and generosity, between scarcity and blessing, between isolation and community. And so as, as we bring these thoughts to a close today, don't just get depressed about the stuff you have to give up. Get excited that when we die, we get to live. We get to really live in the fullness that Jesus Christ calls us to. Amen? And so think about this. And this is kind of the, the, the hard reflection moment. We can't, we can't go today without asking ourselves some questions. I couldn't come to the end of preparing this message without asking myself some questions. And so... If you're a follower of Jesus, here's what I ask myself. Have I really died to my sinful attitudes and my sinful actions? Have I, have I really done that? Am I living this abundant life that Jesus calls me to live? And you know, I gotta be honest, like all of you, there's that stuff that... that Man, we struggle with the anger sometimes and impatience and just, just so many things. And so I reflect on that and I ask you to do the same.
And then I want to ask you, if you don't know Jesus today, if you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior, and given him control of your life, uh, I need to give you the opportunity to do that today, to ask, to ask, are you ready to put to death that old life and receive and accept this amazing new abundant life that Jesus Christ has for you? And so we're just going to take a moment, and we're going to pray, and then we've got a song, and, and we want you to reflect. But let's just bow our heads right now. Father, in Jesus' name today, Lord, as your followers, we acknowledge. Acknowledge that sometimes we can buy into this easy believism that if we just accept you, everything's going to be good, and we don't have to worry about our mistakes, and it's just all good. Lord, we understand that the theme of sacrifice that you showed us, the example that you showed us by laying down your own life is something that you ask of us as well. And so God, as believers, we want to just say, Lord, help us as we reflect and think about whether or not we truly have put to death those sinful attitudes and those sinful actions. And Lord, how can we really embrace the abundant life that you've called us to today? Because God, that's what we want. That's what we want. And we realize that that means laying some stuff down. Help us to do that this morning. And then, Lord, for people who don't know you, I pray today that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will speak to their hearts, that you'll draw them to yourself, even in this moment. And with no one looking around, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I wonder if I could just ask. I, I just want to pray for you today, specifically, uh, you know, by, by an upraised hand. You say, Pastor... I've never said yes to Jesus. I've never accepted the Lord into my heart. And uh, I want to do that today. I want to give Jesus control. I want to make him the leader of my life so that I can have this new life, this abundant life that you're talking about today. Jesus died so that your sins could be forgiven and so that you could have this experience. And so I just want to ask you, if you're here today and you want to start that journey and say yes to Jesus, would you just look your hand up nice and high? No one's looking around, and I'm just going to watch. I'll see it, and I just want to pray for you. Is there anyone at all? Just while we take a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. If you raise your hand just now, or, or that's something that the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart about, you can do this right just in the quiet of your seat. To say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've done wrong things. I do wrong things. And I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. And that you are extending grace and eternal life to me right now. And I want to accept you into my heart. I want you to make me a new person. I want to have that abundant life that we're talking about today. And if you'll just pray that simple prayer, then God will begin that transformation process in your heart and life today. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for your presence in this room today. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity just to be able to reflect and think about these things. And Lord, we ask that you'd help us today as we consider those things that perhaps we still not have fully let go of that we need to lay down. And Lord, we ask you to, by your Spirit, move in our hearts and lives as we reflect in these moments of worship. Amen.